0: Welcome you to our service this morning.
1: I will echo that. Good morning. Um, We'll have you all stand to start worship. Um, The song we're singing this morning, it's pretty... It came out in early 2000s, I think. Um, Your love never fails. And a couple of lines I love from this song um, are, You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. his love never fails um, nothing can separate us from that um, so if you just think about um, think about those words and our unchanging God as we as we sing together this morning
2: So this is the time that we normally would uh, take our offering, but we're not taking an offering like we normally do. If you want to give, you can give online. You can go to um, telefc.org and give there, or we also have text. We also have um, the church office if you want to just mail a check, and you can. We want to thank you so much for all of you who have so thankfully been um, been giving for the last uh, last couple months. So... I would ask that you join us in prayer, Lord. Dear Father, we we thank you for this day, and we thank you for who you are, Lord. We think about the the storms that we had last night and and the damage. We pray for all those who are still cleaning it up, and um, we thank you for, for keeping us safe through it, Lord. In, uh, in Psalm 8, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies, because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger, Lord. We thank you for the world we live in and your fingerprints that are all over it. We ask your blessing on on those who are sick. Um, we think of those who are in our congregation who are not with us, Lord. We ask your protection and your presence with them, Lord. We pray that you would bless the rest of our worship together, help us to worship you well this morning, and also bless Pastor Tim as he brings your word, Lord. We love you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: all this world, give me Jesus. And God, I pray that would be, and I want that to be the the cry of my heart, the desire of my heart, and yet confess that sometimes like the care to this world, the things of this world, the desire to this world, they, they pull at me and I, I forget and I need to be reminded that what I need is Jesus. And so God, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would You would work to remind us about all we need is Jesus. That you would remove any cares that we bring with us from the world, from us this morning. We could just come to your word and to hear what you have to say to us. In In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I find it rather amazing like the length that some people will go to in order to get their hands on like the latest and the greatest technology. Like in the summer of 2008, it, the the second generation iPhone was releasing. Right? And like it's hard to overstate like how big of a deal this was at the time, right? The first generation iPhone had come out a year earlier and it was revolutionary. But like many first-generation products that it had its share of quirks and flaws. And so the hope was that this second-generation iPhone would be would get rid of all those quirks, get rid of all those flaws, but still keep all the things that made the original iPhone so incredible. So people were extremely excited to get their hands on an iPhone. So there's just one problem. And that was that at first there was a limited number of iPhones that were going to be available. And so if you wanted to get an iPhone like the day would release, you need to do something in order to make sure that you were one of the first people who got one. Like, and the thing you had to do was you had to camp outside of a store and hope that you were early enough in the process that you could get your hands on one of the few that were available. And some people like, didn't want to take any chances. They wanted to make sure they were one of the first people to get their hands on an iPhone. So one group of four young people they lined up 168 hours early outside of a store in Manhattan. That's seven days early. They were just camped out on a sidewalk in the middle of New York City waiting to get their hands on the newest iPhone. All so they could get their hands on a phone that in a couple weeks all the stores would have an abundant supply of. And so people are constantly on the hunt for the latest and the greatest Billions of dollars are spent every year on advertising to try and convince us that we need to have the new and improved version of something. Like we are creatures that crave the new, we crave the exciting, we crave the improved. improved. We live in fear of missing out, like that there is something better out there that we don't know about. That's not just true of technology or physical objects. It's also true of ideas. In Acts 17.21, we read that like all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Now, that may have been like 2,000 years ago in Athens, but the same thing is true of us 2,000 years later here in our culture our culture still loves to spend lots of time talking about the latest ideas. But the only thing that's changed between then and now is that at least the Athenians spend time talking and listening. We just like to talk. We're not so interested in the listening part. But it's a powerful attraction that many of us feel towards what is new. What we're going to see this morning, that John wants us to know that we cannot, we must not Sacrifice, or we must not pursue the new at the expense of what is true. Our passage this morning is First John chapter two, verses eighteen through twenty-seven. If you have a Bible, I invite like you to turn there, or the word will be on the screen as well. So in this passage, John is writing to his church, and it's a church that's seen a number of members leave the church to chase after. The hip, new, trendy teachings about Jesus. And those who have left the church, they're trying to entice those who remain to come and follow their new teachings. So John is writing this part of his letter to exhort his reader to remain in Christ. So with that in mind, let's read this passage. Starting in verse 18, we read, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going show that none of them belong to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. After you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. After you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as this anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as as it has taught you, remain in him. There's a lot going on in this passage, but it all centered around verse twenty-four, where we see a command and then the result of keeping that command. John writes in that verse, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. To say that another way, John wants his readers to remain in Jesus through the power of the gospel. He's urging his readers, he's urging us, to remind themselves of and stay connected to the gospel so that they remain in Jesus. John tells them to see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And what they have heard from the beginning is the gospel. It is the good news that though they were sinners though they had broken their relationship with God. Jesus came to live a perfect life and die on the cross in their place to pay the penalty for their sins. So that their relationship with God could be restored and they could have eternal life. That is the message that each of John's readers heard at the beginning. And that's the message that each of us hears at the beginning of our Christian life. Because it is belief in that message that causes us to be born again, to receive the Holy Spirit, and to become Christians. And apart from that belief and that message, none of us would be, could be a Christian. Right? It is the message that opens the door to the Christian life. But notice right? John says we don't hear that message and then move on to more advanced or complicated truth about who God is and how we should live our life. John's exhortation here is not to accept the gospel and then move on to bigger and better things. It is to make sure that you remain in the gospel. Make sure that the gospel message remains in you. Make sure that the message of who Jesus is and what he did for you stays with you. Why? Because it is through this message, remaining in you, John says, in the next part of this verse, that you will remain in the Father and in the Son. Constantly reminding ourselves and preaching ourselves, preaching to ourselves the truth of the gospel is the means that God uses to keep us in Him. And so when I prepare sermons each week, like I want to be attuned to how God is using the passage we're preaching from to point us to what He did for us through Jesus' work on the cross. I want to proclaim the gospel each week in my sermon. Not just because I hope that anyone listening, who hasn't trusted in Jesus, would hear it and place their trust in Jesus. Like, I do certainly hope that. Right? And if you're here this morning, you've never like, repented of your sins and trusted Jesus for forgiveness, then like, my hope and my prayers would be that you would do that. If you have questions about what that means, I'd be, I'd be happy to talk to you and answer your questions the best that I can. Right? But I don't remind us of the gospel each week just for people who haven't heard it before. I remind us each week because remaining in the gospel, John says, being a reminder of the gospel, constantly living in light of the truth of the gospel, is the way that we remain in Jesus. Tim Keller says it this way. That the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It is the A to Z. All the, all the Christian life flows from the good news of what Jesus has done. J.D. Greer says the same thing, a little bit different, and he says, The gospel, however, is not just a diving board off which we jump into the pool of Christianity. It is the pool itself. Paul, writing to a group of people who are already Christians, in the book of Romans says, I am eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul's eager to preach the gospel to people who already have trusted in the gospel. And John says, he remain in the gospel Because if you remain in the Gospel, you will remain in Jesus. And so we must be ever vigilant to remind ourselves of the Gospel. To remind ourselves that our standing with God is not tied up in something that we do, but in what He has done for us through Jesus. And of course, that doesn't mean that we should now feel free to go and to live life however we want. But rather that the Gospel equips us to live life the way he has called us to live. And that's what we see in the rest of the passage this morning. John's central urging is that we remain in Jesus through the power of the gospel. But in the rest of the passage, we see three factors, both positive and negative, that impact our ability to follow that command. So John gives us three ways that we are called to remain. And they are to remain despite the Antichrist, Second, to remain because of your anointing. And third, to re- remain for your reward. So the first way that John calls us to remain is to remain despite the Antichrist. So in verses 18 and 19 in the passage we read, right, John says there are people who are involved in his church who have left and created their own separate group. And in verse 22, he tells us the reason that that group split off. And that is that they did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. In verse 22, John writes, Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. Now, whenever like, the word Antichrist comes up, right, that's this tendency among certain circles to like, trigger this fascination about the end times and the rapture and the Great Tribulation and Jesus' second coming. Right? Just kind of we want to know what how that all goes. It doesn't take much searching online to find hundreds of theories about like who the Antichrist is. Like all the people who are posting those theories online, they all believe that the Antichrist is alive right now. And in fact, like according to a recent study, ninety percent of all Americans and 50% of Bible-believing Christians believe that the Antichrist is alive right now. And it's certainly possible that he is. But the fact is that that belief that the Antichrist is alive now has been going on for a long time. It's not unique to our generation. All through church history, Christians have been looking for and falsely identifying the Antichrist. Many early Christians believed that like one of the Roman emperors, was the Antichrist. Many of the reformers were convinced that the Pope was the Antichrist. Many during World War II were convinced that it was Hitler or it was Stalin. But here's what I find interesting. The word Antichrist only ever appears in John's letters in the Bible. And he is far more concerned to warn us about the spirit of the Antichrist In the many antichrists that are already in the world, than he is in giving a clue to identify the one antichrist. John says that anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ is an antichrist. Anyone who denies that Jesus is the anointed Son of God, who left the glories of heaven and took on flesh in order to die for sinful men, anyone who denies that is an antichrist. And these antichrists that John is writing about are not content to just take their false teachings and leave the church quietly. They are trying to drag as many faithful Christians along with them as they can. In verse 26, John writes, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. They are actively trying to draw away those faithful Christians in John's church. And no doubt, they're selling their beliefs in a way that sounds very appealing. Like, they're not out there saying, hey, come join us in our heresy. Right? That's not how they're selling it. Right? They're, they're selling it they're, I'm sure they're selling their new group as a group of people who believe, you know, basically the same things, but they've come to some new, cool, unique insights about who Jesus is. Right? Like you can almost hear the sales pitch. Right? Like, oh, John Church is so old and outdated and stuck in their ways. Right? They aren't willing to adapt to the times. They'll never reach the next generation teaching that stuff. Come be part of this new, cool way of experiencing God, where we believe things about Jesus that are easier to believe. And it's like a tempting pitch, and we know it's a tempting pitch because it's worked over and over again throughout church history. And it's working in John's church. And so John is writing to his church those who remain, urging them to continue to remain in Jesus and warning them not to leave to follow the Antichrist. And the warning remains the same for us today. That there is no end to false teachings and idols that want to pull us away and teach us that Jesus is not the Christ. And these false teachings they may acknowledge that, he, that Jesus is a wise and insightful teacher. They may acknowledge that Jesus lived a morally upright life. Or, they may go the other way and deny that he ever existed. But in either case, we must be on guard, not to be drawn in to the appeal of these false teachings. Like We must remain in Christ. And so John is writing to his church, urging them to remain. But because the Antichrist present their teaching... In a way that I so tempting, John knows that his church needs help to be able to resist the temptation of the new. And thankfully, he reminds them, he reminds us that that help we need is available. Which brings us to the second way that John urges his readers to remain, which is to remain because of your anointing. Like, after explaining, there are already many antichrists in the world that have left the church, John says in verses 20 through 21, but you, who have not left, those who remain, but you, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know, the, because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Like even as John writes to warn the church about the threat of the Antichrist, he also writes to assure them that they have the Holy Spirit at work in them, showing them what is true and what is false. John says that Christians have an anointing from the Holy One. and That is, the Holy Spirit. And that John wrote in his Gospel, right, the, Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And it is his job, the Holy Spirit's job, to testify about Jesus. In John 15, verse 26, John had written, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father... He will testify about me. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth whose job it is to testify about Jesus. The Christians know the truth about who Jesus is because they have the Holy Spirit working in them. And because they know what is truth through the power of the Holy Spirit, they can be assured that they will not fall away from Christ into the false teachings of the Antichrist. But if that's the case, that raises kind of two important questions. So first, like, what is, what about the Antichrist? Right? If the Holy Spirit protects us from falling away, like, the Antichrist were members of the church and they, they left, why weren't they protected from falling into falsehood? And we see a bit of the answer to that question back in verse 19. John had written, that They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Well, the Antichrist had been involved in John's church at one point, they never really belonged to the people of God. They had never really been Christians in the first place. They never received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And there's an important lesson here for us. Church attendance is not what makes you a Christian. Being involved in the church is not the basis of forgiveness for your sins. It's only the Holy Spirit living inside you which produces faith in Jesus, that makes you a Christian and leads to the forgiveness of sins. Okay. So many of you have been coming to church for a long time, and I trust that you are genuine Christians. But like I would not be doing my job of faithfully preaching this passage if I didn't remind you that church involvement is not what produces a right relationship with God. So I would just encourage you right, to examine your heart and just make sure that you aren't trusting in your church involvement or any other thing you do as the basis for your relationship with God. The first question about the assurance that comes from the Holy Spirit was, like, why don't the Antichrist have that assurance? And we said it's because that they were never really Christians in the first place. And the second question we need to ask is, then why did John warn the Christians in his church? If they know the truth, and they can be assured that they won't fall away from the fall away into the false teachings of the antichrist, why does John bother to take the time to warn them about the antichrist? And the answer that the the warning, the warning itself is God's chosen means of assuring that Christians don't join the antichrist. God is using the warning as the sure way of keeping His promise. That the Christians won't fall away. We see this interesting relationship between warning and promise several times in the Bible. But nowhere is it clearer than in Acts chapter 27. So, in this passage, Paul is a prisoner aboard a ship sailing for Rome when a storm starts up. And it lasts for days and days, and the sailors on the ship are starting to lose hope and think for sure they're going to shipwreck and die. So, Paul stands up and he says this. I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the life of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. So an angel appears to Paul. He tells them, like, no one on this ship is going to die as a result of this storm. So we fast forward a few verses and we see things have continued to get worse. Like the storm is still raging. And like some of the sailors decide to like, make a break for it in the lifeboats. It's like, their best chance. Just get on the lifeboats and go. And the book of Acts describes the events this way. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchor from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So first, Paul said that an angel told them that no one aboard the ship would die in this storm. But now he says, like, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Like, if these men try to escape on the lifeboat, people will die. So, which one is it? Is no one going to die? Or are people going to die if people get in the lifeboats? And the answer, of course, is both. Both things are true. The warning about fleeing in the lifeboats is the means that God uses to prevent anyone from fleeing in the lifeboats. And thus making sure that the promise that everyone will survive remains true. The warning is the means that God uses to keep his promise. And the same thing going on here in 1 John. The true Christians in John's church have the Holy Spirit and know the truth and therefore they will not fall away. But the warning about the teaching of the Antichrist is one means that God uses to make sure that they will not fall away. But there's other means that God uses as well. So next, John reminds his reader of another means. And that is, that they should remain for their reward. In verse 25, John urges his readers to remain for their reward. Immediately, after urging his readers to remain in Christ, rather than following the false teaching of the Antichrist, John writes, and this is what he promised us, eternal life. John reminds his readers that what hangs in the balance is they choose between remaining in Christ, or following the teachings of the Antichrist is nothing less than the eternal destiny of their soul. Jesus has promised eternal life, but only to those who remain in him. I think we're often prone to thinking more highly of people who do things for like, altruistic motives, right? just for the sake of doing the right thing, not for how it benefits them. Right? We think the person who stopped to help someone fix a flat tire on the side of the road. Right? They're a great person. Right? But if we find out that they're a mechanic, like hoping that they can leverage their help into business for their shop, right? like that takes away some of the, the goodness of their action. Right? And like the same thing is true as we follow Christ. Right? Like I like to think that I always follow Christ simply because He is true and He is the mighty God of the universe that I will follow him, even if it didn't benefit me, simply because he is true and it's the right thing to do. But sometimes, in the midst of the struggles of life, in the midst of all the different ways we are tempted to leave Christ and to chase after some idol, sometimes altruism isn't enough. And we need... And what we need to help us remain in Christ is to remember the reward that is offered to us for remaining in Christ. To remember how it benefits us. To remember that one day, all those who remain in Him will live forever in the new heavens, and the new earth, where they have glorified, perfect bodies, where there will be no more sickness, or no more pain, and no more death, where there will be joy forevermore. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of that in order to help us remain in Jesus. And so, like, I don't know where you are right now, like where you are this morning, what you're going through, what's pulling at your heart. Right? I don't know what struggles or temptations may be pulling at you, right? trying to get you to abandon your faith and chase after false gods. Right? And I could stand up here, and I could give you logical arguments for why Jesus is the Christ. But sometimes what we need, what we need to help us remain in Jesus it's not logical arguments. It's not more information, but a reminder of the glorious reward that I've promised to all those who remain in Him. So if that's you this morning, if you feel yourself on the cusp of leaving Jesus, like my desire is that you would remember the reward that I've promised to all those who remain. Like, and hold fast to that promise. Let it anchor you to Christ so that you will remain in Him. And if that isn't you, like if you feel closely connected to Jesus this morning, my desire is that you would remember. If you if you don't feel like, if you don't feel close to leaving Jesus, if you feel closely tethered to Him, right, that's great. But my desire is that you would not become complacent or overconfident in your faith. Right? There may very well be coming a day when your faith will be tested. And so I hope that you will use this time. Of solid faith, you have right now to do what John says in this passage and to remain in the gospel so that you will remain in Jesus. Like, remind yourself, day in and day out, what He did for you on the cross. Remind yourself that your relationship with God does not depend on what you do, but on what He has already done for you in Jesus. Remind yourself of the gospel. Because then it's God's appointed means of helping us remain in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way you work, the way you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that so we can be forgiven of all our sins if we trust in him. God, we confess that we are prone to wandering, we're prone to finding our satisfaction to finding our joy in other things that we're prone to trying to earn your favor through our own actions rather than trusting in Jesus that we're prone to being intrigued by false teachings and false gods. We pray that you would remind us this morning of the truth of who you are. We thank you that the Holy Spirit lives in us and all those who trust and believe in Jesus to remind us of the truth of who you are. We pray that you would help us to remain in that truth, that we would remain connected to you, that we would live life that bear fruit for you, you be glorified by all that take place in our lives. When we fail, help us to trust that those sins are already paid for and return to you. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, our prayer is that these services each week would equip us to be engaged and energized for the life as we go to live our lives the rest of the week out in the world. And so, in light of that, hear this word of the word of blessing as we prepare to depart. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glory of presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Here